Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 163 of Maximize Your Influence. I'm Steve Olson, and I have Kurt Mortensen here with me on a rainy, soggy day where we live. Kurt, how's life going for you this week? Rainy, soggy, <laughs> actually pretty good. I actually was spent time in California this weekend, soaked up some sun. It was like 90 degrees this weekend in California, and I saw something pretty cool. We saw the Blue Angels. Have you ever seen those before? Not in person, but that would be pretty cool to see. Wow. Yeah, it was incredible. Those are the jets that fly in formation that do the tricks that uh, wow the crowd. It was amazing what they can do in those things. Was it like an air show? Well, we went to Huntington Beach, and they had all these tents set up, and they're like, what's going on? Well, there's an air show tomorrow. I'm like, oh, well, that's great. Tomorrow, we're here today. But then, what do you know? They practiced <laughs> for the show, so we got the pre-practice before the actual show event, and it was amazing. Oh, nice. Probably better seats and a much better price of admission for <laughs> yeah, pre-practice. That is true. They shoot right at each other like they're going to hit. They go straight up, straight down. They fly in formation upside down. It's uh, quite the event. That's pretty awesome that they can do that. It was amazing. Yeah. Well, I had fall break, took the family down to a place called St. George, Utah. That place turns into just a refugee camp on fall break. There's so <laughs> many people there. Oh, my gosh. But, you know, it was fun, and I thought of you. You're gonna, oh, did you? You're going to be really sad or happy when I say this, but maybe I should just feature it for a future show, but there's a restaurant down there called Fatty's. <laughs> so you thought about me at fatties that, yeah, that's right I, i'm feeling good this should be the show on self-esteem after that <laughs> yeah we still have to do that by the way listeners last <laughs> week we we talked about how to talk to difficult people and we're going to get on self-esteem but we do have a guest today yeah I, I saw the restaurant called fatties and thought well number one i gotta tell kurt <laughs> and number two wow how does that make you feel going in there <laughs> Well, there's that restaurant in Arizona, isn't it called like Heart Attack Cafe or something like that? Yeah, yeah, where it's kind of a gag, they wheel you out on a wheelchair. Yeah, they wheel you out, and then and, uh, the waiters and waitresses, I think, are wearing nurse uniforms, so. <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> Till it actually happens, and they'll have to rethink the name. All the more proof that we are emotional and not logical creatures. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. When it comes to food, especially. When it comes to food, so. Well, I guess that's what's been going on around here. And we're going to have a really great guest on the show today. It's a bit of a long interview, so we're keeping the intro short, just getting down to business. But a few things. Remember to go to universityofpersuasion.com where you can learn top skills and be educated every single day about how you can become a better persuader. If you want to take it seriously, if you want to become a great persuader, then you have to learn and grow on a continual basis. It's just like working out. You can't work out a bunch and say, I'm in shape, and then not do anything and expect to stay in shape. Persuasion is the same way, and that's why we created the University of Persuasion. So go to universitypersuasion.com to check it out, where for less than a cost of a Honda Civic, you can become a powerful persuader. How's that for cheesy segue intros? I like it. Yeah. You can shower once a week, but it really doesn't count. You got to do it every day. A little personal development, little growth, tool of the week, different things you can learn because everything you want in life is on the other side of persuasion. That's right. So we are going to cut to our interview right now with Jonah Berger. He is a professor of marketing at the Wharton Business School 
and at the University of Pennsylvania. So he should have a lot of good stuff to say to us. Let's cut now to our interview with Jonah Berger. My pleasure to welcome to the show Jonah Berger. Jonah is a marketing professor at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania and a world-renowned expert on word of mouth, social influence, consumer behavior, and how products, ideas, and behaviors catch on. He's published dozens of articles in top-tier academic journals and popular accounts of his work often appear in places like the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and Harvard Business Review. Jonah is the best-selling author of multiple books, including Contagious, Why Things Catch On, and Invisible Influence, The Hidden Forces That Shape Behavior. He's a popular speaker at major conferences and events and often consults for companies like Apple, Google, GE, Coca-Cola, Vanguard, 3M, Kaiser Permanente, Unilever, and the Gates Foundation. Jonah, welcome to Maximize Your Influence. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're glad to have you here. It's a, a great guest and a lot of awesome topics that you've covered. Uh, Kurt, why don't you take it away? What the listeners really want to know and the toughest question of the day, when you look at vegetables, what is the worst vegetable on the planet and why? That's a tough question. I think I'm going to go with Brussels sprouts. When I was Ooh. a kid, uh, steamed Brussels sprouts were the worst thing that one could have in the entire world. They've gotten better these days, but they're still one of my least favorite vegetables. Now, I have to ask you this. Did you hide them in your pocket when they were put on your plate? Did you find creative ways to make them invisible? <laughs> You know, I, I didn't, though I should have. Uh, these <laughs> days, I think, though, you know, you roast them and you put a little Parmesan cheese on top and they're much better. But they used to be terrible. They, they used to be the worst thing I would ever have growing up. I think, yeah, anything steamed is was never top of the list. So that's a great Definitely point. Not. All right. All right. We'll put Brussels sprouts on the list. Yeah. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, you roast them. You put a little Parmesan and some garlic on there and you could muscle them down. But yeah, it does. I mean, I think you got to dump some nacho cheese on them and completely disguise them if you're going to enjoy it. <laughs> or ranch. Ranch fixes a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. That's what they do in the South. Yeah. Bury it in ranch and it'll be good to go. Well, hey, Jonah, every week on the show, we like to talk about an awful persuasion or influence blunder don't, don't, don't. that we've seen. And, you know, you study this topic of influence. It's what you do for a living. Can you remember any just awful blunders that you've seen recently? Or it doesn't even have to be recent. It could be many years ago, but just so awful you can't get it out of your head. <laughs> it's not the most awful one I've, I've ever seen. And in general, there are many awful ones that deal with authenticity, so companies not, not being very authentic. One I saw recently was somewhat funny. It would be from an unnamed airline. I won't point them out in particular. Uh, they were saying, oh, God, you know, we have such great customer service and we have, we have such great Wi-Fi. And it was on one of their planes. And I was saying, oh, there, there's no Wi-Fi on the plane. I reached out to them on social media. And they said, oh, yeah, no, no, you know, that, that's next year. And I'm like, but, but your ads are like all about how, it, how great your Wi-Fi is. And I'm like, oh, no, next year. And I, I think what's so interesting about brands is, is sometimes they think, oh, if we, if we just say it, it'll be true. Uh, if we, rather than actually <laughs> thinking about the customer and what the customer needs, if we just pretend that we have it, people will be, will be happy. At the end of the day, if, if we don't put the customer in the center, it kind of doesn't matter what you say, right? You can say a lot of things, but no one's going to believe you in, unless you're really customer-focused. In fact, last week, Kurt related a story about that where he was waiting in a huge line at Alamo Rent-A-Car at an airport, and they had one or two people behind the counter processing these rental cars at, at a snail's pace. And meanwhile, somebody comes out from behind the counter just to talk to everybody to yuck it up because in their customer service manual, they'll talk to the customers when it's not authentic, like you're saying. In reality, yeah. if you want to help, get behind the counter and start taking reservations, <laughs> you know, right now. Yeah, and I, I think it's funny, right? I mean, the goal is there. The company knows, even in your case, right, they, they know that they should be yucking it up, yet they're not really understanding why. And it's not being implemented somewhere correctly along the way. 
Yeah. 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 It becomes a checklist for them. They don't have any ownership. And like you say, if they say it, it must be true. But we know we've traveled enough airlines to know that, yeah, it's not making me happy. Not making me happy. Let's talk about invisible influence here. So how would you define that? What does that mean to our listeners, invisible influence? You know, I spent over 15 years studying the science of social influence, have, have looked at why people do the same thing as others when they do different things than others, you know, what motivates us and how others can demotivate us. And one thing I can found again and again was that influence is often invisible. And I was talking to a friend of mine uh, about the book, saying, oh, I'm writing this book on influence. And, and they were lamenting influence's effect on their colleagues. They're a lawyer in Washington, D.C., and they were saying, God, you know, all D.C. lawyers are the same. They, they make partner, and the first thing they do is they buy a new BMW. And I said, oh, you know, that, that's interesting. But, you know, aren't you a D.C. lawyer, and don't you drive a BMW? And they say, oh, yeah, yeah, but, you know, everyone else drives a gray one, and I drive a blue one. Uh, and what I thought was so interesting about that story and that anecdote is, you know, we do sometimes see influence. We see other people dressing the same way. Uh, we see, you know, teenagers listening to similar music. The one place we never seem to see influence is ourselves. We never seem to be aware of how influence affects our own behavior. And as a result, it's really hard to take advantage of its power. So that's what invisible influence really is, you know, how we can uh, highlight and sort of make visible the often invisible influences. And then once we can identify them, how we can take advantage of them to live happier and healthier and more successful lives. Let me follow up with that one because I've seen that too. Everyone thinks they're immune to influence, immune to salespeople, immune to social media in their lives. Why is it that people think they're immune? They say it's ha- affecting other people, but it's not going to affect them. Why is that? There are kind of two key reasons. So first of all, in American culture, influence is kind of a dirty word. <laughs> Uh, no one likes to see themselves as influence. You know, we're, we're all special, unique snowflakes that make our own choices based on what we like and dislike. We're not going to be affected by other people. We're not easily persuaded by those around us. So one is it's a, a bad thing. But the second point is a little more interesting. And, and that's even when we do see influence, uh, even when we say, oh, it's not a bad thing, we're often unaware it occurs. Uh, it often happens non-consciously. I'm buying a shirt today, for example, that I that I like a lot, that I, I think I bought because I thought it was sort of a neat shirt and it's color appealed to me, but it may just be that I like it because I saw a lot of other people wearing something similar. Uh, as, I, as I talk about in the book, for example, you know, hurricanes affect how we name our kids. No one would know that hurricanes affect how we name our kids, yet it does. And so it, influence often happens non-consciously, and because it happens non-consciously or below our awareness, we're not aware it's happening and we can't correct for it. So I saw this in one of the chapters, uh, Jonah, and I've been, of course, dying to know. Who wouldn't be dying to know what can cockroaches teach us about motivation? One of the more interesting stories I came across while doing research for the book. And so there's a bunch of research on what's called social facilitation. And it started almost 100 years ago now with a guy named Triplett who, for his doctoral dissertation, measured how quickly cyclists biked around a track. And what he found is when compared to when they biked alone by themselves, when they were being watched by other people or competing against other people, cyclists raced faster. People raced faster around the track when others were around. And that finding has been shown again and again. Again, This idea of social facilitation. Other people make us work harder or faster or better than before. They motivate us. When we're competing simple puzzles, others around makes us do it faster. When we're tying our shoes, having other people around makes us do it faster. If we're good at pool, other people watching us make us shoot better at pool. But what's interesting is there's a whole bunch of other studies that show exactly the opposite that people do worse when others are around. So, for example, if you're, if you're parallel parking a car and there's someone else in the car with you, it's often harder to, to parallel park. We've all had that experience. Or when you're doing a difficult maze, it's often harder to do when you're, when you're being watched. And so 
One question is, well, when do others help? When do they hurt? In a work context, for example, you know, open offices, are those going to motivate people to work harder? Or are they going to hurt performance? And so a researcher had an idea of how to study this. Uh, he looked at it in the most interesting way. He basically built an Olympic stadium. Imagine an Olympic stadium with rows and rows for people to sit and a track for people to run around. And there was only one unusual thing about the stadium. It wasn't filled with people. It was filled with cockroaches. So he built this little mini stadium to run cockroach races, uh, little cockroach participants. He'd open up a side of the stadium, a wall, cockroaches run out. He'd shine a light, would run away from the light, run to the other end uh, of the stadium, and he'd time how fast the cockroach ran. And he did that when there were other cockroaches watching the cockroach, so little cockroach stands where cockroaches could watch the cockroach run or not. And what he found is that when it was a straight line, when cockroaches ran just from one side of the maze to the other, other people watching them made them run faster. And that was consistent with prior research. But he thought he had an idea about when others hurt. The idea was when it's difficult, when the task is difficult or complicated, others make us worse off. And so he actually built a different maze that was shaped more like a T. A cockroach had to run straight, make a left or right turn, and then run to the end of the side of the T. And he found in that case that other people around, other cockroaches in this case, made the cockroach run slower. Um, this has been replicated now in dozens of other studies. So if you're tying your shoelaces, you tie it faster. But if you're tying a bow tie, something most of us are not very good at, you tie it slower. And so it turns out others help us. It can even be animals. Animals help other animals when there's other folks around. We do easy, simple, well-learned things better but we do complicated or difficult things worse. And so others can help or hurt depending on the task we're doing. Yeah, so everyone needs a cockroach stadium in their house, right? <laughs> that's an interesting study. So we talk a lot about trust on this show, and that's very important when we persuade and influence. One of the things you mentioned in your book says, why do we trust others even when we know they're wrong? Part of conforming and part of influence, they're, they're kind of a few routes. One is information right? Uh, when we're in a difficult situation, we don't know what to do. We look to others for information. If you've moved into a new city, and you got to go find a mechanic. What do you do? You look online at online reviews. Why? Because you trust that other people have information. You're in a city, you don't know where to eat dinner. You look for a restaurant that's full. Why? You assume if it's full, it must be good. That's the information, uh, informational influence that drives our behavior. But there's something else more complicated, which is the wanting to fit in, the normative aspect uh, of social influence. You know, imagine out to dinner, you have your eye on dessert and no one else orders dessert. And they go around the table, no one's going to order it, no one's going to order it. It gets to you. Finally, you're like, God, I want dessert, but no one else is ordering it. Maybe I shouldn't. And some scientists actually did a, a study very much uh, like this a number of years ago. They had people look at the length of lines. So judge which of three lines is the same as a target line. Should be really easy, right? Your eyes can tell you which is the right or wrong answer. And indeed, if people are doing it by themselves, they get the right answer all the time. But they put them in a weird situation where other people in the room actually said the wrong answer. So your eyes tell you the answer is A. Line A is the right answer. But the person in front of you says B, and someone else says B, and someone else says B, and five or six people say B, and then it gets to you, and you're sitting there going, God, you know, I think it's A, but everyone else is saying B. Is there some information there? Or maybe am I just going along to fit in with the group? And this happens all the time in meetings, right? Where, you know, the person who talks first, everyone else just follows along. Because it's not just about information, it's about wanting to fit in, right? If everyone in the meeting seems to agree on something, we don't want to be the one person that stands out. And so this can both lead us to make worse decisions, but also strategically apply can help us persuade groups of people to go our way. That's interesting. And you had also some information in your book about how to be a better negotiator. This is something that many of our clients are very interested in. What is a summary? I know this probably doesn't do near enough time, but a summary on what your research shows about how to be a better negotiator. It turns out that there's one simple trick that makes people five times more likely to reach a successful negotiation, five times to reach a deal when all looks like it's lost. And so they looked at lots of negotiators, looked at what made them successful, one simple tip, and they found that tip. 
tip was mimicking or mirroring your negotiating partner. So imagine you and I are sitting across the table from one another, locked in a tough negotiation. If you lean back in your chair and I subtly lean back in my chair, that would be mimicking or mirroring your behavior. If you scratch your cheek or sort of cross your arms and I do the same, that would be mimicking or mirroring your behavior. Not obviously, right? Not doing it all the time, but subtly mimicking or mirroring others' behavior led to more successful negotiations. And it's not just negotiating. In a sales context, for example, a waiter or waitress takes your order. You say, okay, I'd like a hamburger a salad on the side uh, and a Diet Coke. And they say, okay, a hamburger salad on the side and a Diet Coke. Word for word, exactly what you ordered, they get a 70% higher tip. And the idea here is that mimicking or mirroring others creates a kinship or a sense of affiliation. It creates trust uh, and turns acquaintances into allies and strangers into friends. If you and I were talking and we found that we went to the same high school, or we had the same birthday in common, suddenly we'd feel a lot more connected. And that's exactly what mirroring or mimicry does. It makes people feel more connected. It makes them trust them more, and it facilitates social interaction. So this podcast is helping our listeners maximize their influence. So as you look at influence and helping people become more influential, what's the one thing we've missed? What, what is the one thing you want to tell our listeners that they need to know to be more influential? We've already talked about a couple of great things. We talked about mirroring or mimicking others. We've talked about you know how we can use others to, to motivate us, uh, to help us do good things, motivate us to take action. I think there's one other neat way that others motivate us to take action, and that's thinking about making the right comparisons. So, you know, sometimes we think, okay, we'll compare ourselves to others. That'll be helpful. But making the right comparisons are, are really important. We did a big analysis of uh, thousands of NBA basketball games, and we found that teams that are down at one uh, by one at halftime are actually more likely to win than teams up by one. They get motivated, they get fired up, and they work harder. Someone actually did a similar study of, of tennis players, and they looked uh, at losing a set in tennis. So imagine you're up for a tiebreaker, you lose a set in tennis. They found that people that lose a, a set are actually less likely to win the next set. And so when does being behind motivating and when is it demotivating? Well, mm. it turns out it's about the size of the gap. When you're a little bit behind, like being one point down in basketball, you're so close you can almost taste it. But when you're a lot behind, like being a set behind in tennis, you're not so close you can almost taste it. You can't even smell it. You're very far behind. And so if we're going to motivate ourselves or others to take action, we need to make them feel close. We need to pick comparisons are useful, but the right comparisons are important and picking what I'll call a proximal peer, someone who's ahead of you, but just a little bit ahead. So if you're trying to motivate a team, tell them they're a little bit behind another team. Uh, if you're trying to motivate yourself, pick a peer to compare yourself that you're a little bit behind of. Picking the right comparisons will help motivate us to take action. Well, that's really good. Well, we appreciate you taking the time to visit with us today, Jonah. Where can our listeners go to learn more information about you and your books? Yeah, so the books are available anywhere books are sold, but the best place to find me is at Jonah, that's J-O-N-A-H, uh, Berger, B-E-R-G-E-R.com. There's a bunch of free resources on my website they can download to become more influential, to make better decisions and motivate yourself and, and others. And you can also find me at J1Burger on Twitter. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Jonah. Thanks, guys. Good to chat. All right. Thanks. Well, that was a great interview with Jonah, Kurt. What did you think? What were your impressions? He was spot on about the influence and the way we think. And we talked about it earlier that, yeah, we're emotional creatures. And the different things he talked about that influence our behavior and why we do what we do, those are the type of things that we really need to understand that the majority of influence and persuasion negotiations are those subconscious triggers, those feelings, those emotions, the thoughts that we have. We like to think we're these logical creatures that, yeah, maybe other people are emotional, but every decision we make is tainted, if that's the word I can use, with emotion and subconscious triggers. Absolutely. It was a great interview. Hopefully we can have Jonah back on the show again sometime. Everybody, we appreciate you listening, and we'll catch you next week on another episode of Maximize Your Influence. Take care. Persuade with power. Persuade with power.